You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Colorado? Chris Lopez here. And today we're going to be talking about commercial real estate lending. Now, here's a couple words you normally don't hear in the word of commercial real estate. We're talking lending, but I've got two gentlemen in the studio today who are forward thinkers in the space, and I would say innovative, which has always been one of my frustrations with the commercial world as, you know, the last six, seven years, I really got into real estate investing. I started out in commercial and I was very frustrated by how slow that market was. I saw so much opportunity out there, like, wow, there's so much opportunity to be innovative, to be marketing focused, do this, do this, do this. And I was like, wow, the commercial world is resistant to it. So I've always had a little bit of like, you know, uh, tug and pull there with commercial, but I always uh, look forward to networking with people and just through the standard power of networking, talking to people, being persistent. I've been very fortunate to, uh, over the last couple months, meet two guys, two commercial lenders who are great lenders, but also that forward-thinking innovative. So I'm very glad to have you guys in the studio. Adam Aloise, you were here a few podcast episodes ago, I believe, talking was, lending. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we got Appreciate some it. we got some big news here to talk about what's happening in your business like a week after it. Right. Last but not least is Mr. Michael Kaplan, who is the president of Slap Capital. And uh, you are just a wealth of knowledge, been in the industry for years. And Slat is coming to Colorado market with some forward-thinking ideas, and I'm excited to uh, dive into it. No, I appreciate being here and having the opportunity. It's 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 a new frontier for us, for sure. Yeah. So looking forward to it. But it, like I said, it's always like you guys are like great at your profession, but just your mindset and outlook is always like your forward thinking, which ah, I find so refreshing because that's how I am. <laughs> so Adam, let's start with you because yeah. last time we were here, we were talking the market, what's going on. And I think a week after recording that podcast, you went through some major business changes, right? It's amazing what happens when you get on your podcast. Life changes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wasn't going to take credit for that one. Um, no, I mean, it was great. So we, and I, did, I don't think we shared too much about it at all. So No, we shared nothing. To give, I guess, a little just, you know, overall background. A little background. To, you to first. Where, yeah, yeah, to where we've come from. So, geez, to that, prior to, um, being a part of SLAD and then having my own form. So I was a 15-year commercial real estate corporate lender, right? Um, worked my way up through an analyst to a, um, a portfolio manager, originator. Started doing some investing uh, myself on the side, did a little development work, uh, some value-add properties. Um, really enjoyed all of that. Kind of stepped away. There was some... Of various things in corporate America that I was not too excited about. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to take a, a, a run on doing some stuff myself. It was going to be more development investment. That was in January of 2020. Oh, great. March nailed, it. <laughs> nailed, nailed, the, nailed the timing. And so then March came and I, you know, I was scared at this point. Like nobody's know, knowing what's really going on with the COVID thing. And yeah. so I was like, what do you know? Like commercial real estate, you know, lending, have various uh, relationships here in town. Called a couple of friends, can do some refinances, help with some purchases. Debt at that time was uh, very attractive uh, compared to where we are now. One deal turned to three, turned to ten, turned to fifteen, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I think there's there's a market for this." Um, have the background in underwriting, have the background in administration. What I'm best at is kind of the outreach, you know, and structuring some of the deals and knowing where to place it. 
the issues that I was running into was on the hiring side. And it, and it, and it I mean, if I want to be honest, it was kind of my own fault is just the back office stuff. Yeah. Right. I mean, putting the underwriting, the packages together um, and then getting like the closing. And so uh, I had a mentor that I'd known here for many years that had done something similar and he was going through, um, I guess I want to say maybe like a, a, he was selling a portion of his business to Slad. We had talked about that and he he was the one that actually teed up my relationship or, or getting to know Michael and Dan and their firm. Um, it's just amazing how it works. They were, they were interested in opening up a Denver office. You know, they had, had purchased a separate company. Um, um, I guess they were based in California at the time and the, the Colorado location was the second. And then it was like, Hey, we're, 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 we're all in. They obviously have a lot of investors. So let me back up and I can tell Michael can do it better than that, but who slat is that's a little background on me. And so I'm opening yeah. the managing the Denver office, right. For slat capital, which, which I'm like, I'm excited about. Cause I get what you're saying. Like, Hey, you're very good at doing you know, this part of the process yeah. and you know, very few people can do the whole process of brokerage, of lending, of anything. That's just not the way humans are wired because right. there's so many different steps on there and they take different personalities and skill sets. And so like, but it's always that point where like, you always want that local expert. Um, but you know, with lending, you have like the local expertise and knowledge, but you really need like a national infrastructure, especially on the commercial side, like, you know, the, the national lenders, regional lenders that That's you guys right. have access to, right. there's a very, uh, hey, you need the local, but you need like that national infrastructure and from my perspective, I think that's where Slat and you is just like an amazing partnership. And nobody know about Slat talking with you and your team last couple of weeks, Michael. I've been so impressed hearing about like the growth of Slat Capital and the space you carved out for yourself and also just the ideas you have for growing Colorado market share. So with that, give us a little background about, about you and Slat, please. Sure. No, happy to do so. So, you know, Slat Capital is a 52-year-old company. Um, I've been with the company for 25 years. So, you know, a lot of time with family and that's really what we've been built, what we've been building. Uh, the genesis of the company, it was started by Barry Slat. It was an individual, uh, kind of a failed developer in California during the seventies realized, you know, wasn't his cup of tea figured, you know, Hey, I know the lending business. I know the real estate business. You know, how do I develop a firm that doesn't have a ton of overhead and, and can make money and, and serve, you know, commercial real estate needs? Um, and so, you know, in the 70s, um, you know, it was a pretty fragmented market, um, but he saw an opportunity and, and developed the firm with relationship focus first, which, uh, you know, standing in the halls of, you know, one of the first mortgage conventions in San Francisco, you know, filled with insurance companies looking for local representation. Uh, yeah, that's where the, the, the genesis of the company started. Uh, so in 1973, Barry was able to secure a, a correspondent relationship with um, American United Life. That was our first entree into the uh, insurance correspondent business, which is the backbone of our firm. And so fast forward to today, we represent 20 different insurance companies, um, all different sort sorts of makeup amongst those 20 insurance companies with respect to where they're located, what their investment strategies are. Um, and our firm 
is basically their eyes and ears in particular markets where they want to do origination. You know, they're based in Des Moines or they're based in Omaha or they're based in other parts of the country. They don't have the capacity to build production offices across the country. Mm -hmm. So they identify firms like Slat to be their origination arm and be their servicing arm. So, you know, we, we try and stay in our lane with respect to those relationships. It's, you know, a broad based platform, 1 million to, you know, 30 million, but you know, the majority of our relationships are true middle market focused. Um, and so over the years we've, we've built, uh, a company that really focuses on that relationship and what they want in a particular market. And sometimes that brings us to other markets. Sometimes that keeps us very local. Um, so we're a you know $5.2 billion servicing mortgage banking firm. We're headquartered in California, um, but we service 1,600 loans across the US. Are most of those loans that you originate or mm -hmm. do you also take ones from other lenders as well and do, do general uh, services? Yeah, we're, 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 we're open to, yeah. to subservicing or collaborating with other mortgage firms that may not have the back office uh, to run a servicing program. Uh, the the 99% of what we service, we have originated. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, if you look at the, 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 the map, so to speak, you know, we're still heavily concentrated in California, probably 60, 68% of our servicing is in California. Other highest concentration states are, you know, logically, you know, coming from California investors. So high, high number of loans in Texas, um, you know, obviously Pacific Northwest, Nevada, Colorado, mm -hmm. uh, kind of the smile states, you know, into Florida, the Southeast and stuff, not a whole lot in the Northeast, but that's, it's growing, um, as insurance companies continue to evolve and have demand to be in certain areas, they look to certain mortgage banking firms like ours and many of our competitors and say, Hey, we're really underserved in this market. What do you think about that market? Do you have any people on the ground there that can help us grow that market? Um, and so, you know, we do have some national accounts, but more, more, you know, specific, the insurance companies really look for expertise in the market they want, they want you in. So, you know, being in California, we have seven offices in California and we're gradually growing. Yeah. And so, What's the kind of story about the Colorado expansion? Like yeah. you told me, but mm -hmm. I want to have you guys repeat in the podcast. I just, I found it fascinating. So we, we, you know, again, I mentioned, you know, California investors and, you know, not that, you know, people aren't welcome to do business in Colorado from California. Um, you know, for us. Oh, we do a lot of 1031s with Californians coming That's out. exactly <laughs> it. So, <laughs> we, we know the trends. Yeah, so we we followed a lot of our clients over the years here and buying really well-located, performing real estate. And, and a lot of that was being financed with our correspondents that we represented in California, you know, with them allowing us to, to follow our client into the marketplace. And, you know, not every deal was done with an insurance company. We, we certainly placed banks and credit union and, you know, CMBS loans with those investors. And, and a lot of times those lenders on the bank and credit union side were local. So, you know, over a time period, we've developed, you know, local relationships with 
certain investment brokers, leasing brokers, bankers, um, and other mortgage bankers that were actively in this market. And so, you know, relationships going back 20 years where we would see these individuals at, you know, our, our annual conferences and walk down the hall and, you know, we'd be at the same lender cocktail party and we sit and say, Hey, what's good. What, what works, what's not working. And even though we were competitors, we were friendly competitors. How's business going? How are you training your young producers? How are you building back office support? Are you building back office support? <laughs> um, you know, how do you make it work only servicing 350 million? How do you justify the expenses? Yeah. You know, little things like that. We all shared ideas. And, you know, over time you you build these friendships. And and to us, you know, with a firm that is so rooted in family, um, my partner Dan Friederberg, I've known since I was 16 years old. So we've built this firm together over the years and the majority of our senior leadership or our senior mortgage bankers have been with the firm 10, 15 years, um, if not more. Um, so we've taken that approach to our competitors. They are friendly competitors. And so, you know, when seeing that we were doing more and more origination in the Colorado market, it was reach out to those guys and say, Hey, look, we're not trying to step on toes. We're following clients by the way you represent a few lenders that we don't represent, maybe there's an opportunity to do some co-brokered business. And so start there. Say, hey, let me bring a client to you. Let's work collaboratively. So some of some of the relationships were strengthened by doing deals together. Um, then it gradually grew into, hey, we're, we're doing more business there. Our lenders are asking us to do more business in that market. How do we really do it the right way? Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, it's not easy to do it from California. You, you, you know, I don't, you know, you can say, Hey, I know that area. Do you really know that area? You know, not do you like Adam does that. Right. Do you really know what's going on in that corner or in that corridor? Do you know why those tenants are there? Oh. You know, what, where's, where are the demand drivers? You know, do I know the, you know, the city planners? Do I know, do I know the top brokers here? I don't. Now I can go on CoStar and look and figure that out, but I'd rather have someone on the ground. And that's where the you know idea of, hey, if we're going to continue to do the volume that we're seeing and that our lenders want in that market, we got to have the right guys on the ground. Cue up Adam, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and I know you got some other people on board as well, but yeah. uh, I think Adam, I mean, you know, you're, you're taking a big lead in all here. So I'd love to kind of, to shift the conversation because it's, it's, it's great to hear the the overall story of hey relationship focus great track record and you got the the big infrastructure but you got the local knowledge and you're also able to stay very nimble as well to go out there and and, and get deals done. Yep. So, kind of from your perspective, Adam, you've got a new arsenal behind you, new back office. What's the landscape? What opportunities do you see out here in Colorado or in Denver? Just in general, for like commercial, and it's a very open-ended question. Whether it's for very open people to make, you know, moves, or now that you got some of these new lending relationships, like, you know, what, how you can make some magic happen out here? Like, what opportunities are there? Oh my gosh, that is a super open-ended question, and let me try to uh, <laughs> digest that. 
from the investment perspective, from the lending perspective, like, so how- Wherever where everyone take it, I'm curious. Like, I, I have a million questions I want to ask you guys. So that, that's part of my, my such an open-ended question. So I apologize for that. Right. But like, let's just start with the investor because that's what always matters here. End of the day, we're all here to serve the investor. That's right. Uh, let's make sure that investor gets the right deal, the right terms, right things. So let's start with the investor because end of the day, that is who matters. Right, right. And so, I mean, I, I think it probably helps just give like the background. I was like, where, where is the the value at, right? And so, and we talked about it a little bit before is, you know, what's what's most important, I guess it's, it's going to be different for everybody, but from obviously there's going to be the pricing perspective, right? Like where can you get the best, you know, pricing? How do you get the best terms? What are the best terms, right? Is it something that's going to be more of a short-term project? Is it more of like a long-term stabilized product or project? And then what specific sources of of capital you know are you looking for right is it going to be kind of more of like on the debt side or not on the debt side but on the, the bank side credit union side is a life insurance company deal what we're seeing i guess right now especially in the market or at least like what i'm saying is you know we're talking to 20 to 30 lenders a week you know it's just kind of part of my you know, weekly you know hey what's going on is and I don't want to speak for everyone, but but a lot of the, the the banks are are getting a lot more stringent for their underwriting. A lot of the pricing is going up, which is leading to you know more deals kind of opening up on the life insurance side. Um, some of the pricing for stabilized deals, right? I mean, what what I'm seeing is not a lot of value add deals getting done right now. I mean, and is that because more just because like the debt terms can't get through? A lot they need of it? lenders aren't lending on pro forma. Right. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we were doing last year was even on the multifamily side that we talked to. It's like, okay, kind of your, what, what does that, what does that deal look like? Right. It's, yeah. it's the typical, it's, it's. So least, even with an experienced operator and they're saying, I've done, you know, dozens it doesn't, of it doesn't, ca- it doesn't cash flow. You know what I mean? Uh, day one. So usually you want to get to a one, to, I shouldn't say all the time, but usually like for me, it was like the a one-to-one on the current market. And then we need to get it to a one, two, five on the stabilized you okay. Know, um, so you've seen stuff open up on the stabilized side, lot through life insurance, but the value add the side, value add stuff the is drying, is drying up a little bit. Okay. And same probably with construction right now with obviously materials costs. And then, you know, some lenders tie to the wall street journal, um, prime index, which will probably see 50 basis point increase on the next couple of weeks. So, yep. I mean, what's that eight and a quarter, you know, and that's without, a bank putting a margin on it. So, I mean, it just gets, it gets very expensive very quickly. And so, you know, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what does the market look like? Where are the opportunities? And so, you know, we're trying to share what we know to try to get the deals done on, on, on the debt side. And then, you know, putting some good people together to try to strategize and maybe putting, you know, some, some deals together together, but, or deals together with each other. But I am, I will speak for me trying to to navigate that myself. Like where, uh-huh. you know, where are we going to find? Well, here's something I, I, I really just get your uh, perspective on, especially, you know, since Slat has what, 5 billion plus in servicing. So you guys, um, you know, get to see a unique perspective because you can see on the servicing side, you know, on the residential side, we always talk about, hey, it's going to be a way before closures. You know, that's not happening. Now with the huge rump in interest rates, are we going to see a lot of assets starting to be, you know, uh, banks starting to force these investors to sell assets because they can't meet the interest rate jump in a year when their uh, debt comes due or starts floating? Like, 
Are you seeing any interesting trends or patterns, good or bad, on the servicing side or just in general? I mean, for, fortunately, fortunately, you know, within our servicing world, in the in the insurance company servicing world, you know, most of the loans are conservative. Um, mm. They they are definitely lenders that are borrow, borrower centric. So you know, generally speaking, our our properties. Um, or where our problems tend to come from are not necessarily property related. They're borrower related. If there are any issues, um, having a long track record of servicing going back through arguably the worst financial crisis in you know, 08, nine and 10. Yep. Um, and, and even through COVID our firm has not had a default. In like our ever? in our servicing department. Wow. So now, have we had late payments? Have we had forbearance provided by lenders because borrowers were in good standing? Absolutely. Um, but we currently have no forbearance in our portfolio, and we currently have no defaults. Now, you asked about the greater market. Yes, there are issues. You are seeing it. The media is very loud at the moment about office properties oh, yeah. and big office owners giving property back. That's institutional, very much focused in that large balance loan world, uh, you know, higher octane lending, so to speak. In many of those examples, when you scale it down to the middle market, you know, 2 million to 30 million space, we have not seen the strain and therefore there is strain but we've not seen it come to the point where lenders are moving to either foreclose or to uh you know bring it to that hard decision right um so i think i understand your question a little bit more now right from like from an investor perspective where are they gonna see some some opportunities in the near future yeah right and so i think it maybe it looks something like Two, three years ago, somebody gets a loan and it's at three and a quarter and they leverage it up 75%, you know, and they're the smartest guy in the room. They're not a lot of capital bring to the table. Everybody's giving like high fives. This is this is the best. It's and- a different situation when, you know, that that debt um matures, you know. Number yeah, so that's the five-year arm. It's like so a, yeah, five-year arm, three-year arm, right? right? And then so it's like from three and a quarter, you're leverage up, you're maybe what at a one, two, five debt service coverage ratio, and now you're you're Debt is, I'm making this up, like 7%, right? And now you're way underneath. And, you know, now that the problem is you probably can't get refinanced unless yes. you have like, you know, a capital pay down, right? So it's a lender calling saying, hey, Adam, you know, your, your metrics are a little below where we need them to be. Uh, you need to make a $500,000 curtailment or you got to sell this, right? And so there's probably a hand, well, I, I, I don't know how many, you know, folks are going to not be able to pen those checks, but there'll, there'll be some assets coming on, yeah, you know, line a little there's bit. There's still a lot of kick the can down the road a little bit mentality right now. Um, you know, one of the things we are seeing, which is, um, it's a little unnerving, but you're seeing a lot of strain in that, in that bank and credit union space. And, and really what that is, is you've got a lot of regulators going into those offices and looking at their books and saying, Hey, you know, look, you guys did a great job the last handful of years. You put out product, you helped your communities. But, you know, the reality is, is you did a lot of long-term fixed rate lending 
and it's it's on book and you haven't been able to move that that paper because there aren't active buyers for that paper because it's at such a low return yeah. you know and so you know a lot of the credit unions a lot of banks are sitting with pay good loans mm. but the auditors are going look guys you got to mark to market these you know 4% 10-year fixed rate loans you know almost 200 basis points now run your economics now run your coverage you're below your minimum threshold we need you to reserve so why is you know what is happening as a result of that banks and credit unions are now saying hey we need some deposits you know we'll do your new loan market rate but we want a compensating depository balance mm. because they're trying to get their ratios in balance right. now yeah. that's not across every credit union or every bank there are a lot of credit unions and a lot of banks in this market and other markets that did not go crazy and did not, you know, stayed in their lane, so to speak, and did the type of lending that they should have been, which is more shorter term in nature and match fund. Um, those guys are still very active in the market and, and, you know, they're market rate lenders, but they're able to do new loans and, and be, be active in, in the marketplace. Right. Well, and I think that's a good point even to bring up, you know, and why sometimes life insurance companies are nice too. I mean, because it's very typical for any bank or credit unit to have annual reporting or annual covenants they're taking a look at. And mm-hmm. so that sometimes that can get you in a little bit of a trouble. Whereas, you know, some life insurance companies, once it's on the books, I mean, they're not going to have those annual, you know, covenants or, or ratios or, or thresholds. Yeah, they don't have the reserve requirements, right? right? Correct. Yeah, like the rate yeah. is completely different. Yeah. I guess I'm, they would not regulate it. Yeah. I mean, they may have, they may have, a post, excuse me, a post closing covenant that is more reported, more reporting oriented, you know, send us your income and expense, uh, you know, year end statement and send us a rent roll and send us your financial statement. Right. Great. It's a file filler. It's, Hey, you know, our loans in good shape. If it's not, we'll put it on a watch list, but they are not necessarily re underwriting the deal every year. And if you fall below a certain metric on debt coverage, they they have the right to call that loan or or require you to pay that down. Okay. You know, the majority of insurance companies don't have those post-closing covenants. It, you know, that's not to say they on a certain deal they may not require it. They may. That may be in order to get X Y or Z term right. that you need, we'll have that that uh you know that post-closing covenant in there, but the vast majority do not have that. Yeah, that Whereas makes sense. Banks or credit unions they all have post-closing covenants, liquidity covenant, DCR covenant, occupancy covenant, CMBS loans. You know, if your property goes dark, you know, we're going to sweep your cash flow. If, if you lose yeah. a major tenant, we're going to, you know, trigger the lockbox and funded reserves. So we're in that environment right now where a lot of that's happening. Right. You know, you lose a big tenant, your occupancy so- is down from a high level. And of course, you know, with, uh, just with that mind, um, and, you know, we're, we're recording this in March and I think, you know, rates will go higher and stay higher longer than really anticipated a few months ago. So are we going to see more pain in the market and more people being forced to bring some reserves or sell their assets next year or two? Do you think like is more pain coming? That's what it appears right now. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, I think pain is relative. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, good point. <laughs> uh, you know, what does that pain look like? Yeah. Look, 
there are a lot of really good loans out there right now that that we service that uh, you know have really good sponsorship behind it that are, that are flush with capital right. and can manage the, the the storm so to speak. Um, where I do expect to see some further cracking is you know look syndication business you know where you don't have a lot of uh, ownership of whoever's managing that. And they're having to pick up the phone and have very difficult discussions, um, you know, to their investor base saying, hey, you know, we've got a Capital. we've got an event coming, you know, our pro forma, we have not met our pro forma. Um, we are 300 basis points different in exit mm. interest rate than we performed. Um, we would like to keep this property in order to do so. We're gonna have to refinance and we need a capital call of, you know, whatever it is, X percent. Um, some of those calls will go fine, but a lot of those calls, there's there's gonna be some pain. And, and that's so, what I'm thinking of, like those situations. Cause I, yeah. I know, uh, you know, last five years, seven years, you know, syndications have been like one of the sexy things in real estate. <laughs> and I know a handful of people now more, you know, younger, newer syndicators. Yeah. Uh, and some banks are forcing them to sell some assets yeah, right, right now. The, 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 the established groups, and, and there are a lot of them out there, yeah. the guys that They'll know be, what they're doing, they've properly fine. reserved, they've properly adjusted portfolios correctly because they have the expertise. They have been through cycles. It's, it's the, it's the new, new players that, you know, young guns. Yeah. I mean, that have, that have, you know, only seen a, low interest rate environment, only seen rent growth. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of uh, those groups that said, hey, you know, we're going to continue to have 3% rent growth and we're going to continue to have cap rate compression. That was their performa. Their performa wasn't... 3% rent growth, more like 8% know. rent growth. Yeah. But, but, but it, you know, <laughs> yeah. a big part of their performa was cap rate compression. Yep. And cap rate compression is not happening. <laughs> no. Well, it's, it's even hard. I mean, on, on our side too, not even to make it like larger syndicated deals. Is like we're doing some refinances um, from some local banks that because of regulation issues, they can't do the permanent, right? So they gave like a 12, 24 months bridge IO period for these people to stabilize. Now they've stabilized the deal and they don't have a takeout. I mean, we, you know, I, I called on a guy and had the same conversation. He was like, this is perfect timing. The lender that I was with can't do, you know, do the, the permanent financing. The, the asset was, the value was added, right? We've got extremely good, you know, terms and pricing for this person. And then it, you know, I'm thinking there's a lot of that going on now that had that first part of the bridge that, you know, added the value and whoever their, you know, lead lender is right now is not able for whatever reason to do the mini perm. And so, I mean, I think there's going to be opportunity for us to help some people out that way as well. Yeah. And from like just uh, taking a, a different perspective now, just from like a very big picture, just kind of what's your guys' just general perspective next couple of years, commercial debt? Um, I mean, or is it just no one wants to go there and I mean, throw I'll, the crystal ball out? I mean, I'll address the insurance company side because, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's some some good points uh, to discuss there from a uh, you know, insurance companies are asset allocated, uh, asset allocation lenders. So, you know, each year, uh, you know, they're going to invest a certain percentage of dollars into mortgages, you know, figure most insurance companies want to be somewhere, you know, portfolio wide between six and, 
maybe 12% invested in mortgages. Oh, okay. Um, there are some outliers. There's some really, uh, you know, small balance uh, insurance company lenders that will go to 20 or 25%. We have one that actually, you know, will go up to 40% of their assets invested in mortgages. Um, so there are some outliers, but, you know, year over year allocations from 2021 to 22, you know, we're up about 10%. 22 to 23, we're up about another 10% for the most part. Um, so they are lending into the market. These are some of the best loans they're going to underwrite because the market is disjointed. Yeah. And so not that, for lack of a better word, better word, they have an opportunity to cherry pick. They have an opportunity to pick the best sponsor. They have the opportunity to pick the lowest leverage deal, the, the best corner location. Yeah. These are deals that when the market is hot, and the credit unions and the banks are really aggressive. They they miss out on a lot of that stuff because, you know, insurance companies aren't last dollar lenders. Mm-mm. They are generally lowest rate lender on a moderate to low leverage approach. Yeah, and uh, and so this is an environment where they get an opportunity to to really do what they do best, which is you know cater to the you know conservative borrower who is really looking to uh, secure the best interest rate possible, generally, you know, at a moderate leverage. And so they look forward into, you know, 23 and even out to 24, they understand that rates are going to be all over the place. Um, but they are not as subjected to the shifts as some of the other lenders are that are, you know, borrowing from yeah. you know, the Fed or that are, raising third-party capital, you know, in a securitization model, things of that nature. So they can control it to an extent. They're still mm-hmm. subject to where corporate bonds are moving. And generally speaking, insurance companies are going to price over a corporate bond, whether it's triple B, triple A, um, they'll layer on some spread there and that will, you know, produce their rate, yeah. so to speak. But there's a lot less volatility in that sector than there is in the bank credit union securitized lender space has there like uh underwriting or like dscr uh ratios changed all in generally speaking for life insurance or about the same just people yeah, bringing so, more money now uh i mean that's that's the cure-all yeah higher down payment right higher yeah. down payment lower leverage um to answer your question yeah underwriting is definitely tightened um i think when you think about insurance companies they have you know they have their models that they're gonna you know stress deals too. And, you know, if you go back over a 20 year period, the easiest way for them to do it historically was, Hey, it's a six cap market in this market that we're lending in. Let's just stress that we're going to underwrite our deals at a seven cap or a seven and a half cap and lend 75% leverage. Mm -hmm. So in essence, what they're doing is they're saying, Hey, you know, we're going to stress the cap rate. We're going to, we're going to give you a full loan on our underwriting. Um, but what ends up happening is you end up being about 60, 55, 60% of actual market, 75% of their stressed underwriting. So you, this is a totally random question, but you brought up stress testing, which is obviously very important. Um, I mean, how many banks and life insurance companies stress tested this type of interest rate rise? Like, was that, is that common in models? Because I, I, you know, everyone's just been caught a little bit off guard with how fast things have risen. 
or has that been for underwriters? Like, hey, we we looked at. I think, so we I think the this. insurance insurance company, you know, definitely rely on us to bring market actual market data to the table yeah. for them to review, and then they they've always looked at that actual in place data. And you know, look, there are some market rate underwriters in the insurance world, you know that that will push, uh, but the vast majority of them do have tests in place for a reason, no matter how aggressive the marketplace is. Um, you know, look, I don't think banks and credit unions, you know, uh, avoid that process. I think they have their, you know, their mechanics in place. Um, you know, whether that's a global cash flow test that they run, you know, for borrowers, you know, which includes the subject property and, and them as individuals, what mm-hmm. their free cash flow would support if that property went vacant. So yeah. there are some tests there. I, but. I will I will tell you on my side is it doesn't seem like it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we were doing a lot of deals for a lot of years that, I mean, underwriting at three and a quarter, and it would work at three and a quarter, and there's no questions asked. I spoke with a lender probably two weeks ago, um, and he said they were... A, we can still do the same thing. We can all, you know, I've always been able to do 70, 75% leverage, you know, 30 year amortizations, but we have to underwrite to a 10% debt yield and a 20 year amortization. Like, mm-hmm. That doesn't even, you're, we're not talking about the same thing. No. So yeah. now, so now they're really, I mean, honing in on it because they may have missed the boat. I mean, yeah. I, I started seeing like the stress test halfway through last year, but for the, the prior 18 to 24 months, you know, it was all on actual. It was all on actual. That's what yeah. I saw. Yeah. At least for me, maybe there's something in the back office that I was not aware of, but no, they are it. now. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I, I, as you're talking, Michael, we, that, yeah. I'm curious about that because yeah. that's the model I, when I've done, again, I am not an underwriter, but I right. do my what if scenarios. Right. Yeah. And that was not one I of mean, look, we, we are still seeing, and I'll leave them nameless, we are still seeing term sheets from lenders that when you actually run the underwriting, based off of the terms they're offering, the deal does not work, you know? Really? Yeah, hey, we're gonna lend you, you know, X leverage subject to a 125 debt service coverage at this interest rate and this amortization. And when you plug that in and look at the cash flows, right? it's like at a 1.08 debt cover. So so what they're, what they're offering yeah. you can't get done. Oh, and and a lot of what we do, you know, look, we, we you know, I would love every one of our, you know, opportunities to be exclusives, but that that's unrealistic. Yeah. The reality is, is we sometimes come in after someone's been put through the ringer and we've, we're being asked to help fix the situation. And a lot of those situations could have been avoided if you actually just underwrote the deal Mm. properly, you know, where, where, you know, what the lender is offering you actually doesn't work. But it's hard because, you know, a lot of people and you'd be amazed don't know what they don't know. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, they call somebody or call a lobby and say, I need a commercial loan and that's it. I mean, you know, probably work with at least half professionals and half, you know, I'll be honest, like even family offices that, you know, don't have the, as much as you think that they would, because, you know, I have $150 million in real estate, really don't know what they're looking for. And so, you know, you're there shared one thing and get excited. And then that's like you said, that's what it is. And it comes yeah. through and they're like, sorry, we can't get it done unless you want to put another, you know, X amount in percent in and it's well, like, I, where we're seeing that a lot right now to your earlier question about how, how yeah. much is the run up in rates impacted what's going on? Uh, we're seeing it significantly in the construction space 
where there are lenders willing to provide construction financing up to you know 65, 75% loan to cost. Um, but what's happening is when you run the exit analysis, you know, someone may be willing to give you that construction loan today. Right. But when you go to refinance it in 18 months or 24 months, we don't know where rates are going to be, number one. But it, let's just take a snapshot in time. Look at the rates today. What sort of debt service coverage can you support if it was ready to go today? That's you really have to look at that. There are a lot of developers, you know, some experienced, some less experienced that are just looking on the front end, not looking at the takeout scenario. Oh, well, I'll just sell it, you know, if I can't refinance it. Well, I have a buyer. <laughs> right. I have a buyer and they've got to finance. And they got to have a lender behind them. So, you know, things are, things are rapidly adjusting. Influx. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's stressful as an investor. It's also mm-hmm. from like, you know, just watching the market. It's also like very interesting and entertaining a little bit, just watching how things shake out. Like I, I love that perspective. Yeah. And I really appreciate you guys like coming on here and, uh, just sharing, you know, you guys have such unique perspectives of where you've sit in the, you know, in the crossroads of the commercial real estate world. But, uh, as we wrap up here, like I know Adam, Michael, you guys with Slack capital have some like, from what we've talked about offline, some pretty aggressive, uh, plans to expand here, future plans in the marketplace with, I mean, a bigger office, more lenders, getting more market share, like who's the right type of client to reach out to you and who do you want to network, network with more now that you're out here in Colorado? Um, I would say on my side, you know, borrowers that are looking, well, let me see, borrowers that are looking to refinance right now that are kind of in the situation that we talked about where, you know, maybe they have some debt maturing in the next six to nine months and really need to take a look um, and get some of that get some of that underwriting done and, and and have somebody really be able to tell them the truth on what can actually get done and maybe yeah. even forward lock some rates. Um, I would say that's who we're going to focus on as far as in brokerages here around, I would say specifically probably, you know, retail has been really strong. Industrial continues to be a good asset class to get done and people are aggressive on and then multifamily if it's stabilized. I mean, those are the type of brokerages I think that that make a lot of sense for us to, you know, talk with regularly office Deals can get done, but they've got to be pretty cherry. I mean, that's we went to a few conferences in there. You know, that was kind of a four-letter word on that side. So, uh, self storage is getting done as well. So, you know, people that are going to have debt maturing on that side, and then I'll I'll let Michael talk about how he, you know, the thoughts on you know building out the office and yeah. I mean, I I think uh, look, we we've talked for you know thirty forty minutes, and there was a, a little bit of doom and gloom in some of the you know the underlying tone. I, I want to oh, yeah. be want to be clear there is tremendous liquidity in the market right now. It's, it's, you know, but again, we've really bounced high off the bottom levels of where rates have been and, and there needs to be an adjustment period and, and we're going through that. But, you know, compared to the Great Recession and other, you know, kind of pre-recession time periods, go back to dot-com boom and, or bust for that matter, <laughs> there were liquidity events. Yeah things stopped. There is plenty of liquidity in the system across all lender, you know, product types. So, you know, again, there, there is a, there is an opportunity here. So, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, I'm bullish still within this market, but we are going through an adjustment period. So, 
you know, as it relates to slot capital expansion, um, you know, as we said earlier, the, the, the attractive part of the, the, the Denver and greater Colorado market for us is there's, there's a history here with a lot of our existing clients. Yeah. Um, there's a history with local people that are now part of our firm here. Um, so the desire to build a, uh, you know, a strong regional presence because our lenders are asking us to grow in this market is exciting. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of stars have aligned. Yeah. It's taken time. Well, it always does. Um, right. You <laughs> and know, it takes longer than you expect too. Sure. Sure. And, <laughs> but you know, we've had conversations with some of the professionals that are here now with us for, you know, 10, 15 years, because, you know, there was a demand is a demand for uh, a number of our lenders to, to grow their portfolios in this market. Yeah. And to Adam's point. Yeah. I mean, product wise, um, you know, retail for the last five, six years has kind of been the four letter word. It's really, you know, it's in the top three. Um, so retail, we look forward to, you know, putting dollars to work in that space. And that's across, you know, strip retail. That's across single tenant, you know, good credit retail, um, grocery anchored for sure. Um, you know, the, again, in the life company space, their favorite products are industrial, multifamily, um, yeah. you know, and, and they'll do as much of that product as they can, as they can. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, we're excited. I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity. It's a great middle market area. Um, it's continuing to grow. It's continuing to attract population (laughs) to the, you know, dismay of some, you know, Colorado people. But (laughs) the fact is, is there's not too many, there's not too many better places to be. I agree there. And that's why from the the long-term, you know, macro point of view, it's a great place to always invest in. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much. Like, I know you're in town for a few days, Michael. I am very, uh, very thankful that you carved out time to come to the studio. Yeah, so thank you. Great. Look forward to having you guys on the podcast more, especially when you're in town, Michael. And just in general, if you guys out there, you're an investor, you're a broker, you're in the space, I mean, reach out to me. Most importantly, reach out to Adam or Michael. I think Adam would probably be the best point guy here for Denver stuff. Um, I'll make sure all their contact details in the show notes. But of course, as always, reach out to me and I love playing connector. Adam, Michael, thank you. Thank you. Thanks.